Hey guys, thanks for checking out today's message. We are so glad that you joined us. We consider resources like this one to be supplemental. So if you do not have a church home and you live in the greater Savannah area, we would love to invite you to one of our locations. If you're blessed by today's message and would like to invest into the life and the ministry of City Church, you can do so by visiting our website, citychurch.life, and clicking Give. Our hope is that you'll be blessed and encouraged as we dive into today's message. I'm gonna, we don't talk about the book of Hebrews, if it's all right. I've been going over the book of Hebrews for, for a bit, and I've really been enjoying the study. And uh, when Pastor Jim gave me an opportunity to speak, uh, I thought, okay, I'm going to pull something out of Hebrews. I've been really getting into it, and uh, it's been challenging me. Hopefully, it'll challenge you. Let me give you a little front end on this. So the book of Hebrews, I don't know how much everybody reads God's Word. If you're not reading God's Word, I'm challenging now to start. Uh, as much time as you can spend each day, whether it's 10 minutes, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, or an hour, uh, even if you can't read God's Word, you've probably got an app on your phone that will relay Bluetooth through your car and somebody will read God's Word to you. So all you got to do is be wanting to get in God's Word and let God's Word get in you. And it does something when you get in God's Word. Well, what part should I read? Any of it. <laughs> it's all good. Uh, so tonight we're going to go into the book of Hebrews, and the book of Hebrews is only 13 chapters. We don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. We do know something very critical about the book of Hebrews, and that's what's the central theme. What is the point? And it's something to do anytime you get in God's Word. When you're reading God's Word, always ask, what's the message the writer is saying to the people that they wrote the letter to, which is typically what the a, uh, book of the Bible is, and then ask, what does it mean to me? But the writer of the book of Hebrews was writing to a group of people who were now Christians who had been Jewish and they had left behind their basically their Jewish roots. We can assume they no longer went to temple. We can assume they no longer participated in sacrifices. And at this point, they had left everything, basically their culture and heritage behind, and they were Christian, and they were tempted to go back to it. They were suffering persecution as well. But the message in the book of Hebrews, throughout the book, as you read it, is there's nothing to go back to. And that's an encouraging word for any one of us, no matter where you're at in your walk. There is nothing you left behind before you came to Christ that's worth leaving Christ to go back to. Otherwise, you wouldn't have left it to begin with. Jesus is all throughout the book of Hebrews. The whole point that the writer's making is he starts out in the very first chapter going through it. And I'll be honest, as I read through the book of Hebrews this time and started studying through it, I honestly read the chapter one, I don't know, I... Different books of the Bible I can read through and really gather a lot, and some that I find myself going into familiar mind patterns. And the book of Hebrews, chapter 1, is one of those. I hit it, I start reading it, and it hits me like poetry, and it's just kind of through it, and I didn't get anything. So this time I went and sat down and dissected and really got more out of it, and I started to see the picture. The book of Hebrews, he starts from the very get-go. Whoever wrote it, I say he, assuming that, but he hits from the very start with the fact that Jesus the Christ is greater than anyone who ever lived, even Moses, greater than any being that's ever been created or ever there, and that includes angels. He is the supreme sacrifice. He is the only acceptable sacrifice, and he is the only sacrifice necessary or required. So understand who it was written to and what it was about, and the whole point of the book of Hebrews is don't quit. It's throughout the whole book. Just don't quit. You know, I don't know who's here. I mean, honestly, standing up here, I don't know if you realize this, but somebody standing on this platform due to the lights can't even see the faces of the people in the crowd. So I really have no idea other than my wife and the people I met coming in. But somebody needs to hear this. 
And no matter who's doing the preaching or the teaching, in any setting you find yourself, if you'll allow yourself to hear and ask, Holy Spirit, what is it you're trying to say to me tonight? You can always learn. Um, don't quit. That's the message. So the writer goes through 10 chapters, brings us all the way up to Hebrews chapter 11, where we're going to talk about tonight. And then he starts to teach us what faith is and how faith works. So the first thing, what's Webster say? Well, Webster's talks about faith and says that faith is the complete trust or the confidence in someone or something. Also says that it's strong belief in God or in the doctrines of a religion based on spiritual apprehension rather than proof. That's good. So then I went to Strong's. And I don't know if everybody's familiar with Strong's. Strong's is an exhaustive concordance where someone's life work was to break down the Word of God word by word and attach a numeral representation to every single word in God's Word uh, and then give the definitions of them. And if you don't have one, you can get it on an app and run it on your phone. And if you wonder what a word means, just one click and there's the definition. Strong says faith is persuasion, credence, moral conviction of religious truth or the truthfulness of God or a religious teacher, especially reliance upon Christ for salvation, the system of religious truth itself, the gospel, it is assurance. Let me give you a simple definition. Simple definition is believing in something, believing it's true, and then dedicating your life to it. Now, we don't have to wonder because the writer in Hebrews starts off from the very get-go. Chapter 11, verse 1, he ends chapter 10 talking about those who walked away from the faith, addressing those he's speaking to, saying, I know it's not you. And then he hits chapter 11 on the ground running, telling them what faith is. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. Now, I don't know how, I love this version. Uh, I think Pastor Jim's the one that turned me on to it, the ESV, and I really enjoy it. But the way I memorized this verse as a new Christian was King James. And in the King James, it was, it's the substance of things hoped for and the evidence not seen. You can't see it, but you know it. You don't have anything you can prove it with that you can hold in your hand, but you know that you know that it's true. Faith doesn't depend on what I can see. It depends on what I know to be true. How do I know it's true? Well, faith comes by hearing. God's Word tells us that. In Romans chapter 10, verse 17, Paul says that faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. Look, God doesn't always show up and show us something. There are examples in the Word of God where he showed somebody something, but most of the time it seems, at least in my opinion, correct me if I'm wrong, it just seems like God talks to people. He speaks into somebody's life. He tells people something. He promises them something. And then it's up to them to take faith, what we're trying to define, and add it, attach it to what they heard God say, and then act on it. That's what it takes. It's not just believing it, it's acting on it. It's taking action based on it. If I can't put something into practice but based on what I say I believe, then my faith is dead. I'll give you an example of that in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter, chapter 3, I'm not going to click it up here, but in Hebrews chapter 3, he starts from back in the very beginning of the book, and he says, Therefore, as the Holy Spirit says, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. 
on the day of testing in the wilderness where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore, I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they should not enter my rest. So what is he talking about? If you're a student of God's Word, you know exactly what he's talking about. If you're fairly new to the Bible or you haven't read a lot of the Old Testament, you may be wondering what he's talking about. What he's talking about is the Holy Spirit of God speaking through the person who sat down and wrote this this letter is saying, the nation of Israel, look at their history, look at what happened, and don't be like them. What'd they do? God delivered them from slavery. They were 430 years. They were slaves in Egypt. God sent the man Moses, brought them out of the land. You all know the story. They took a couple of years crossing the desert as God taught them his word in himself. He gets them to Kadesh Berea. They send 12 spies into the land for 40 days. These 12 men come back. 10 of them say, the land's great. It's awesome. We can't, kill, we can't live there because there's giants in the land. Two men, Joshua and Caleb, come back and say, we can do it. That's the crew I want to be with. They were too afraid. They knew it was good land. There really were giants. There were obstacles to overcome, and they were too afraid to cross over into what God brought them. And the Holy Spirit in chapter 3 is saying, remember them and don't be like they are. Don't do what they did. You could say to me, okay, Jim, why should I even care about what happened a few thousand years ago to a Hebrew group of people in a far distant land? Because he's talking to us. And he's saying, don't be like them. He's brought us out of slavery. He's made us precious promises. He's brought us to what is the promised land in our lives. And it's up to us, man or woman, young or old, to be brave enough to go, okay, God, you said it's mine. I'm going to step into it. Because I can't do it without you. But I sure can do it with you. Don't refuse to take hold of it. How bad was it for them? Let me take you back. Numbers 14.4. They had a council meeting of the whole multitude. They listened to the ten, believe them. Listened to the two who were about to stone them. And in Numbers 14.4, they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. What? Let's just go back to slavery. Let's just go back to where we were. That's insane. That is absolutely crazy. But the whole multitude felt this way other than the two men. And I guess Moses will put him in there too. But fear makes people do things that are crazy. Fear will make you miss out on God's best for your life. So with that in mind, what does faith accomplish? Well, I'll tell you this. Uh, I came to Christ at 31, young man. Uh, My early years as a Christian, I had two kids. I had a good job, but because of poor decisions and financial matters and throughout my life up to that point when I came to Christ, my finances were broken in a mess and a whole lot of rebuilding to do in that portion of my life. And when I heard Hebrews chapter 11, as I got into God's word, I would read Hebrews chapter 11, latch hold of every word that had anything to do with faith. I'd listen to anybody's tape. That's right, it was cassette tape in that day. And uh, anybody got an amen on cassette tapes? Anybody still got theirs? You got them, you know you do. You got them back there, stuck away. One day I'm gonna listen to them again. But I would listen to every one of them had anything to do with faith, because I needed I needed God to show up, and I needed him to fix the mess in my life. It took me time 
to understand that the book of Hebrews is not about the five secrets to financial success. It took some time to grow and get to a place where I understood the book of Hebrews is about how to please God. Now, I'm not crazy enough to think I can impress God, but I do understand that I can please God. And the book of Hebrews tells me how to do it. Hebrews 11.6 says that without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever will draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. So the only way I can please God, very first thing, I've got to believe he exists. And then I've got to believe what he says about the faith, the fact that he'll bless those who seek him. If I refuse to believe him, then really what I'm doing is I'm considering him a liar. And you may think that's too strong, but let's look at God's word. What is it he says about himself? God never takes the stance in God's word of proving or attempting to prove that he exists. He just declares it. He's God. He just declares he is God and expects us to respond in faith. And the wise person does. Isaiah 45, 5. He says, I am the Lord and there is no other. Besides me, there is no God. I equipped you, though you do not know me. That's pretty powerful. Bold declaration. What does he say about blessing us? Well, Jesus spoke about being blessed by God. And in the book of uh, Matthew, chapter 6, he talked about in chapter 6, verse 31 through 33, he said, Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows you have need of them. But do what? Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. We're not told to sit down do nothing and just wait and God to show up. But we are, we are challenged to make him the very first, most important thing in our life and to seek him first over and above everything else. And when we seek him first, he's promised he's going to take care of all of our needs. That's a promise. You can say what you want. I've watched him do it in my personal life. I've watched him do it in my family's life. And I've watched him do it in more people than I can count. As I was thinking on it, trying to think of examples. There's so many people I've seen God work in their life, clearing up their mess, take them to a point where they never thought they could be, and he's done it for me. Uh, okay. Let's just be real for a second here. Okay, so I was a new Christian, had a financial mess. Uh, I'm trying to understand how this whole faith thing works. And to be honest, this is embarrassing, but I was a new Christian at the time. I would read... Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence not seen. And I literally, I'd started believing God and started giving to support the ministry I was involved in. I'd started looking for ministries I could get involved in. I was serving in my church where they would let me. I was looking for ministries outside my church that I could find places to serve where they'd let me. And I was in a financial mess with two kids, and I would get down literally and be praying uh, now faith is the substance of things hoped for. That's now faith, and I've got now now faith and I'm believing for a now blessing and I thought God was gonna I wanted God to fix it now do it now my problem is now I'm responding now and I need it now but that's not how he worked in my life what I had to do is learn to give seek him and then I finally came to a place where I just was in love with him I made some really dumb decisions during that time I was learning what faith is. I don't know if anybody else is here. Hopefully you'll admit it if you've ever been here. Uh, I had $1,500 cash. 
I had no car, two kids, um, and I needed an automobile. Now, for $1,500, you can buy a car, right? Anybody? Well, I won't ask if you've bought a $1,500 car, but you can buy a car for $1,500. South Georgia, you can even buy a pickup truck for $1,500. But I was very young in my faith, and I was praying. My wife Brenda will laugh at me. I was praying, Lord, what I wanted was a Toyota Celica. I wanted to have a cassette player, and I wanted to have air conditioning. And for some reason, maybe because of the fact that I felt so unworthy to be God's child still, I didn't mind if it needed a little work. That literally was in my prayer. So when I found a Toyota Celica with a cassette player and air conditioning that needed a little work, I stood there looking at it with the engine running and going, everything in my brain was saying, do not buy this piece of junk. But I was a brand new Christian or a fairly new Christian trying to learn how to operate in faith and all I knew to do then was don't do what I've always done all my life and make my decisions in the natural. So I went over here and I went, I'm just going to step out in faith and buy this hunk of, well, I didn't call it a hunk of junk. I learned later it was. But I operated in ignorance, but I operated in faith. And somehow in the middle of that, God just showed up and he didn't miraculously heal the car. But I will tell you, it broke down probably. I was trying to think this afternoon how many times, at least a half a dozen times I broke down in that car. But every single time that car broke down, somebody pulled over to help me. And honestly, I can stand here and tell you, I usually couldn't even get out of the car. Before I could get out of the car, literally, somebody would have pulled over behind me and offer an assistance. One time I broke down on 516 up near Veterans Parkway, and before I could get out of the car, there were two cars pulled in behind me to help me. And I was, I'm just convinced God was going, okay, son, that was not a good decision, but I'm going to take care of you because you did it in faith. One time I was on I-16. By then, I knew part of what my problem was. It was starting to overheat, couldn't fix it. Had a big jug of water I was carrying in the trunk, 10.30 at night, pulled over on 16. It was starting to run hot, pulled over to the side of the interstate. A gentleman in a pickup truck over on the service road across the fence, pulled over, hollered at me, can I help you? And I went, I got it, go ahead. I don't need any help, I got it, because I got my jug of water in the trunk. I walked back there, opened the trunk, pulled up my jug, and... You know the rest of the story. Guess who forgot to refill the jug last time he used it? So at 1030, I'm standing on I-16 in the dark going, Lord, you sent somebody, and I ran them off. And before I could finish my prayer, a car pulled in behind me. Somebody offered to help me, and they took me to get water and brought me back to my car. I'm just saying, I'm not saying make poor decisions and expect God to fix it, but God will take you where you're at in your faith, and he'll take you where he wants to take you, and he'll show up the way he needs to show up. But he doesn't expect us to check our brain at the door. He gives us wisdom and expects us to use it. I was still learning what faith is. I'm still learning what faith is. He has provided for me and my family so far beyond my expectations. He's done it spiritually. He's done it emotionally. He's done it financially. He's done it physically. He's done it through relationships that were broken and severed that he's brought back together. He's elevated me in my career further than I ever thought I'd ever be able to go when I wasn't even pursuing the attempt to go there. He just keeps showing up. He just keeps showing out. I heard one gentleman one time years ago say it. He said, sometimes you just catch God at it. Sometimes you just stop and you go, that was God. He does things that don't make sense. And why not? Nothing's too difficult for him. Hebrews 11.3 
says that by faith we understand the universe was created by the word of God so that what was seen was not made out of things that are visible. God spoke and he created everything that we see, everything that's tangible that we can touch. He created out of absolutely nothing just by speaking. And we know that the embodied word of God is Jesus the Christ. Colossians says all things are created for him, by him, through him. All things consist and have their being. How big's your problem? I ask you another question. How big's your God? He's bigger than any problem you've got. He's bigger than any problem I've got. He's bigger than any problem you might run into. And then we go in Hebrews chapter 11, and I'm not going to read all of this because it's fairly lengthy, but I do want to hit a couple of high points. He goes through what we call the roll call of faith, and he runs through the history of the uh, Israel people, the Hebrews, and, and he hits a lot of high points. And just let me bear with me a minute as I run through several of these. In verse 7, he talks about Noah. Noah was warned of God concerning events as yet unseen, and in reverent fear, he constructed an ark for the saving of his household. Here's this guy in his front yard building a barge big as an aircraft carrier for a flood that's coming because God told him, and the man's never seen rain. That's faith. Abraham obeyed when he went out not knowing where he was going in verse 8. He packed everything up he had that he could transport, and he left town with no intention to return, going where he didn't know, following a God who told him to go. Verse 11, Sarah, she's too old to have children, but she received power to conceive even when she was past the age since she considered him faithful who has promised. And then in verse 17 through 19, it talks about a man named Abraham who was tested. They've had the child, they're too old to have, and God tells him to take him up on a mountain and sacrifice him. And here's Abraham taking his son up there with some wood and a knife, and he has all intentions of putting his son to death because God told him to. It's a whole other story. And you can ask yourself and wrestle with, as a father I wrestle with, how would I do that? You could play games in your mind and go, well, we really didn't intend to kill him. Yes, he intended to kill him because Hebrews tells us, verse 17 through 19, it said he considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead because he knew the promise was through this son. So if I'm going to kill him because God told me to, God's going to do something. So I guess he's going to raise him from the dead. His faith was passed on to his son, Isaac, in verse 20, to Jacob, his grandson, in verse 21, and then his son, Joseph, in verse 22. And then we pick it up with Moses, and he's pulling them and bringing them out of slavery in verse 24 and through 26. And it says that Moses, when he was grown, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking for his reward. So it says that Moses considered the reproach of Christ. How could he consider the reproach of Christ? He considered the reproach of Christ because Christ is a title, not a last name, that goes back to Messiah, who they were waiting on, they were praying for, they were expecting to come one day, and Moses wanted to identify with a group of people, a nation of people that have been saved for, have been slaves for 430 years. He's living in the home of Pharaoh. He's the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He's the king of the world, the king of the world superpower of the day, has a daughter, at least one. He's the stepson of this king of the world superpower, and he goes, that's not good enough. That's not good enough. I want something better. 
And I will identify with these slaves that are waiting for it because I want in on that. I want what my people are waiting for, and it doesn't matter to me what it costs me. In verse 27, it says that Moses endured, and he saw God face to face. Didn't get much better than that. Verse 28 said that they kept the Passover so the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. Verse 29 says the people crossed the Red Sea on dry land, and now they go into Jericho and face combat for the first time in their history in the last 400 years. They'd had it before, but they'd been slaves a long time. The walls of Jericho in verse 30 fell down, and after they'd been encircled for seven days, and a Gentile prostitute attaches herself to the people of God and becomes part of the lineage of Jesus the Christ. Go to Matthew chapter 1. She's right there in the lineage. A Gentile prostitute becomes a believer in God, and he accepts her. How's that happen? It happens the same way everyone and anyone else has ever been joined with God, by faith. Verse 31 of Hebrews 11 says that by faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. Those are all pretty easy to align yourself with and go, hey, I want to be like that. I want to do the impossible. I want to believe God like that. The crisis is what do you do when what you've been believing God for, what you've been asking for, is not what happens, or you haven't seen it yet. What do you do when this happens? How do you handle that? Because Hebrews chapter 11 covers this as well. Hebrews 11, verse 13 through 16, speaking of all these, says, these all died in the faith not having received the things that were promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they were seeking a homeland, and if they had been thinking of the land for which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country that is a heavenly one. I love this. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. For he has prepared for them a city. These are the heroes of the faith. And they died without receiving the promises. It says they, having seen them, the word seen, primary verb, is literally or figuratively to see, to know, to be aware, to behold, perceive, and to be sure of. Having greeted them. Greeted, here is also a primary verb. It means to convince by argument, to rely by inward certainty, agree, assure, believe, and have confidence in. What I'm saying is something they didn't receive, something they couldn't see in the natural, they knew it. They saw it. They believed it. They didn't have it, but they believed it. They hadn't received it yet, so they hadn't actually physically taken possession of it. And the writer of Hebrews said they didn't receive it, but they were convinced, assured, believed, and had confidence in it. And ultimately, what really the Messiah, he's talking about is the Messiah. They all died without the Messiah coming. They were waiting for him. They were expecting him. They were longing for the promised Messiah, and they died without his coming, but they died in the faith. I don't know a mountain you're facing, but even death can't separate us from God. Romans 8, verse 37 to 39. 
says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sometimes in the faith you see the miraculous power of God do the very incredible impossible. But sometimes you die in the faith, go into your grave, believe in God. Then you pass on to your reward. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 33 through 38. I'm not going to read it, all of it. I'm just going to kind of summarize it. It's a list of a group of people that the writer talks about through the history of Israel. And he says that by faith, and then he starts a running list of the things that they accomplished by faith. Part of this group I'd love to be a part of. Part of this group I don't want to be a part of. Some of them through faith, listen to it, conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, and received back their dead by resurrection. Amen. I want to be in that group. But right smack dab in the middle of verse 35, the writer shifts and starts talking about other people. They're part of their history and what happened to them. And he says that by faith, he's still talking about by faith, and he said some of them were tortured, refused to accept release, suffered mockings, floggings, and even chains and imprisonment, were stoned, were sawn in two, were killed with the sword, went about in sheep's skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy. One, one group saw the miraculous. The other group was mistreated, abused, and even killed. So how in the world is that supposed to encourage me? Because what we see right now is not the end of the story. It is not the final outcome. It never has been. It isn't now, and it never will be until Jesus returns or we step into our destiny by going to be with him. Hebrews 11, verse 39 and 40 says this, All these, all these, through commend, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God has provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. When, when I was a new Christian, I'd grab hold of these scriptures, I'd pull out the ones on faith, and I'd try to manipulate and work those so that whatever I believed for, whatever I claimed, I was going to get. And the older I get, and the longer I've walked this walk with the Lord, the more my prayer life has completely changed. Part of that is because he did show up. As I continued to serve him and give, I could take my earning statement from the uh, Social Security Administration and show you where he just started multiplying and he just has showed out. But that doesn't even matter because what's really important are the things that are eternal. Anything you can purchase is temporary and it really doesn't matter. And it's never fulfilling. It's fun for a short time, but then it's just another thing. My prayer life has turned over in the years. It's all about, Lord, change me. Lord, finish what you're doing in me. Lord, complete what you started in my wife. Lord, Finish working in my children and bring all my children to their redemptive calling, their purpose to the kingdom of God. Lord, work in my grandchildren. Lord, work in my church. 
Lord, touch the person's life I know that's struggling. Use me if you want to, but it's, it's, it's so much more than what I thought it was when I first came to it. I was looking at the external, but it's really all about the eternal. The people in Hebrews chapter 11 were witnesses to us. They're the great cloud of witnesses. We look to them and we think of how we should live and how we can live our lives. But in Hebrews, Hebrews 12 verse 1 and 2, it talks about them and it talks about Jesus. And it says, Jesus, let us run with endurance the race that's set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. This race that we're in is not a sprint, it's an ultra marathon. It started from the day you came to Christ and made your decision to be his, and it won't finish until the day you leave this world and step into your eternal destiny. Faith doesn't hope that God exists or that he'll bless. Faith knows God exists, and faith knows God is going to bless, even when you can't see it. I don't have time to tell you as many stories as I could. I'll give you a good example. Some of you know me well enough to know this story, and I may have even shared it before. My oldest son, he's mm, born in 1979, so he's 40 this year, I think. Thank you. Amen. I knew Brenda was out there somewhere. She'd give me, or somebody ran the math. Uh, for 10 years, he ran from God. For two years, I didn't know where he was. For two years, I, I had no communication with him. He was somewhere up in Atlanta, didn't know how to get in touch with him. He didn't want to be in touch with me. And for 10 years over that two-year period, he was running from God and didn't want anything to do with the church. About a, a little over a year ago, we were over in one of the parks over here. I think it was food truck day. We were over there in JJ and Abe and Brenda and I, we'd ran into each other and we were in line waiting for food. And my cell phone rang and I answered it and there's my son. And he says, hey dad, can you do a wedding? I said, why? And he goes, uh, me and Kat want to get married. And then we get to talking, that led to I can do the wedding. Here's how I can do it. Here's the confines of it. You're going to have to go to the counseling. And then Pastor Jim and Carmen spent time with him over the phone counseling them and going through it. And that, that period led up to, I was able to, Brenda and I were able to go up to Atlanta about, right about a year ago. I did his wedding on Saturday. I baptized him on Sunday morning. And then he stepped in the water and baptized his wife. How long do you think I was praying how hard was that 10-year period? I'm just trying to be real because somebody's trusting God for something. When you're going through the 10-year period of believing God on something that you don't see is ever going to happen, there's times you get weary. There's times you get tired of praying. There's times you're asking other people to pray because you just feel like you can't carry it anymore. But then all of a sudden, God shows up. And he was working the whole time. But then you finally get to see the promise on the other side. So what do you believe in God for? How big is your problem? How big is your God? How long have you been praying? It's too soon to quit. There's times in the story, the people in Hebrews chapter 11, they didn't see the whole story. They saw where they were at in it. But there was a bigger story. We see it on the back end, looking back at Christ and Him, him coming and being sacrificed for us. So what I'm saying is, what I got out of this Sometimes what you're praying for is part of your story, or it is your story, but you don't see the, the bigger story. God's not working on just my story. He's working on the bigger part of the story, and he's working it all out. Will I trust him while I'm going through the process? That's what I get out of Hebrews chapter 11. 
He'll take you wherever you're at. He'll renew you, complete you, and restore you. He has good things for you in this life and in the one to come. The question is, will we trust him? Will we act on faith? And what do you do while you're waiting? What do you do while you're waiting? We're going to close in prayer, and I'm in faith believing that there's something out there, like there usually is on Wednesday nights, uh, to uh, partake in. And even if there's not... Hang out, chit-chat, talk. The best part about Wednesday night is everybody's just fellowshipping and getting to know each other better. So let's close in prayer and, and as well come back Sunday. We'll see you then. Heavenly Father, we praise your name. We love you, Lord, and we worship you. We're so thankful, Lord, that you do show up. We're so thankful that you're working when we don't see it. And, Lord, you're just working in us and through us. You allow us to be a part of it. You allow us to see glimpses of it. And, Lord, you always come through. And we just honor you and we praise you. And I pray, Lord, for anybody here who's struggling with a bigger problem than they want to share with anyone. And Lord, I just pray that you'd give them strength, that you'd give them courage, uh, that you'd assure them and encourage them to stay the course and to keep on pressing forward, trusting you through it. In Jesus' name, amen.